0: I'm Christina Gerakides, co-CEO of Singularity U Australia and committed to making the seemingly impossible possible. Singularity U Australia stands at the intersection of the values of humanity with the value of technology. Inspire for 5 is a place where we have conversations with inspirational entrepreneurs, community leaders and representatives of organisations who are boldly creating a future by design. The good, the bad, the warts and the inspiration. We are leading the way to be the change we want to see in the world. Conversations that bring to light the magic that is happening on a daily basis, all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of Inspire for Five, where we talk to amazing, inspirational people about what they're doing from all around the globe. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Tom Cresswell, Senior Research Scientist in Isotope Ecology, otherwise known as Environmental Research, from ANSTO. Um, welcome, Tom.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And I'd love to start off by asking you how did you find yourself in this field? Was it um, on purpose by accident? How did you fall into your career?
1: Yeah, great question. So I uh, I'm, uh, have lived by the sea most of my life, um, grew up in the UK and have always lived on the coast. Uh, and then when I was uh, younger at 12, I moved to Florida and went to high school there for a year and a half. And during that time, um, there were, I had a course in oceanography where I got to snorkel with manatees, similar to dugongs. And that was it. I was hooked on marine science
0: fantastic and it often only takes that little um that little hook isn't it to to land you where it is exactly where you're meant to be um so you we've discussed earlier five points of interest to you five points of inspiration um that led you into what you're doing and also in the work that you do so point number one the history of human contamination in the oceans um and how humans have been introducing waste into the oceans for as long as we have been around um over to you for a conversation on that
1: yeah, so I think um, uh, for a long time humans have seen that the uh, the ocean is a is an indefinite source of of uh, an area where we can put our waste from all different kinds of waste. So um, because the oceans were seen as being so vast, it would take us so long to tra- traverse them, um, and they took up so much of the, the land area that it, that was that was the way to do with a lot of the, our, our waste. So um, the old adage goes: the solution to pollution is dilution, meaning we'll just throw it in the ocean, it'll be diluted and it won't be a problem. Um, And that has happened, as I say, for as as long as humans have been around until about the 1950s, um, when the United Nations Conventions on the Law of the Sea um, started uh, to consider that marine pollution was actually a global problem and was transboundary. And I think that's one of the other things as well, was that waste from one country uh, would make its way around to the shores of another country and therefore be a problem of both countries or both uh, both people even if one wasn't really polluting um, and so there have been a few a few things in the since the 1950s like the london convention in 1972 uh, that established different lists black black and gray lists for things that uh, were to be banned and certainly not um, dumped into the sea uh, i can't say that we're we we're now all the best in 2020 and we don't dump anything into the sea and and as we're aware and we'll probably talk about a bit later marine plastics is a big issue mm-hmm. um but certainly a lot of the things that used to be dumped in the sea aren't anymore and our understanding of the impacts of pollution are um are becoming a lot greater on on the issues to uh, to marine life
0: i i love what you said then um about you know we dump it and then we expect it to dilute And also at SU we talk a lot in terms of first order, second order consequences and some of the research and conversations we have have also been around um, the desalination plants. So when you're talking about that historical aspect and what we potentially have learnt, um, the desalination plants potentially weren't thought out as well either because they're having um, a detrimental effect uh, on the marine ecosystem from what we know.
1: Yeah, certainly. That that can be the case if if there's not a lot of careful planning gone into understanding water currents and, and movement of water to allow dilution of, of really salty water that you get out the end of a desal plant. Um, that that extra hypersaline water can be uh, really detrimental to a lot of fish and plants and and cause the, especially the plants to not live anymore, which then means that all the fish that use that for refuge or food um, Aren't able to be there as well, but if you if you plan it carefully and diffuse that seawater, the the briny salt water um, away, and actually get that dilution right, then it can be done correctly.
0: Fantastic, thank you. Um, so, second point of interest um, in the work that you do, as you just mentioned, are marine plastics, um, broadly introduced in the nineteen fifties. We see whole islands made out of plastic. I walk the beach every day, I see plastic washed up every day. Um, what are you finding? How are we dealing with it? Have we done anything to reduce the detrimental effect that we have with plastics?
1: Yeah, great question. And, and I guess going back to that original side of the, the 1950s, um, some of the early accounts of why plastic was invented, um, was for, for the kitchen use, kitchenware, so that it can be single use and it would save um, anyone from having to wash up because you use your utensils and your plates and, and your cup and glassware and then you throw it all away. Excellent convenience, but obviously that's, we've now realized that there's a there are big consequences there. Um, it's, it's been estimated that, the, well, the, the last estimate, last big estimate was 2015, so this is five-year data, um, was about 270 million tons um, of plastics are produced globally, and approximately 8 million tons, it's been estimated, of that ends up in the, in the oceans each year. So that's about 3% of the total um, production each year goes to the oceans. And we're really learning over the last couple of years, the, the detriment that that can have to a lot of marine life. Um, and it goes on all ends of the spectrum. So from the large bits of pieces that we can see, like plastic bags or bottle tops, um, the plastic bags can be eaten up by uh, marine turtles because they they um, mistake them for their favorite food in, in jellyfish or one of their favorite food. And then the, the plastic bag clogs their guts and they're unable to eat uh, anything else. Um, to bottle caps and uh, cigarette lighters and and cigarette butts get eaten by a lot of seabirds which then they pass on to uh, regurgitate and pass on to their fledgling young um, who then in turn are unable to actually have any food in their guts and and they perish. But then we're also learning a lot more about um, microplastics and, and even nanoplastics. So these are the really small degradation products. Um, I think we're all aware that plastics generally, we we know that they don't break down in the environment. They get smaller and smaller and smaller, and they just fragment into smaller pieces. What we don't really understand is that when they get to this really, really tiny size that you can't see um, unless you've got a, a decent electron microscope, do they actually cross an animal's gut or even our gut and then go into the body? And if so, what are the consequences of that? And that's just something that we really don't understand at the moment.
0: And they have found lots of those microplastics in fish that we then go on to eat. Um, and the lower, I believe, lower down the, um, in the, uh, towards the ocean floor, the fish that we then catch to put on our tables um, as a meal, the greater the number of nanoplastics, microplastics. Is that, is that right?
1: I think we're finding that, that almost every aspect of the um, biological ocean that we go and sample, uh, there are plastics in them. Like I said, the consequences of those, are, are, we're unsure. We know that, that plastics are relatively inert. That's why we use them. They don't tend to, and apart from BPA and, and these other plasticizers, they don't tend to leach Many things is our understanding, but it's the the volume that's now coming through into the into these animals that we're sort of unsure about. Um, other things like uh, clothes washing, our synthetic clothes is is now known to release thousands of little microfiber bits of nylon and polyester into the into the water from our washing machines, and they go down into the sewage treatment plant, which ends up getting rid of them pretty well but that ends up in the biosolids, which can be applied onto agricultural land. Um, what the consequence of those plastics interacting with uh, plants and, and arable areas, again, we just aren't fully sure. So there's uh, yeah, some, some pretty dire work needing to be done there.
0: We really do need to be considering the, the ongoing consequences of each of our actions. Um, the third point of interest, and you did just touch on it then, is agricultural impacts. So fertilisers, herbicides, Um, from agricultural impact areas affecting marine life and places like the Great Barrier Reef?
1: Yeah, so things like, um, you know, we need to be adding fertilisers a lot of the time or or traditional agriculture adds a lot of fertilisers, nitrogen and phosphorus to make sure that the plants grow. That's what we need. Um, So, for example, sugarcane off the east coast of of Australia, um, certain nitrogen and phosphorus will be added that then can can particularly run off into the ocean, where it causes a, a huge growth of marine plants like algae. Um, that algae in turn, that boom of algae, um, then causes things like starfish to come along. Certain starfish like the crown of thorns, and then you end up with an infection of crown of thorns, starfish around your reef, and they uh, in turn start eating the coral. And um, so not only have you got pressures of of warming of the ocean and and bleaching due to um, changes in the acidity of the the ocean, but then also you've got these added stresses of the the nutrients and also other things like herbicides and pesticides. We apply herbicides and pesticides to the plants to make sure that the the roots and the the weeds and the the pests stay off the plants so that we increase yield. Uh, Good for the farmer and good for us as the consumers but then those ultimately can run off and be relatively persistent in the environment. And then because of their nature of being herbicides and pesticides can really impact um, things like marine grasses where um, dugongs might live and, and forage around. So um, yeah, it's, it's that real understanding that everything that we, ha- that we do as humans, almost everything that we do has some consequence on the marine environment. Uh, and often it's a detrimental consequence, unfortunately
0: everything we do as a human has an ongoing consequence to everything by the sounds of things. So land, water, everything. Um, Which brings us to your fourth point uh, that you wanted to discuss was urban runoff and contamination um, from that urban runoff.
1: Yeah, so things that we've been working on are things like metals. So zinc uh, as a metal is often found in a lot of car tyres or the brakes, the brake discs and brake pads of, of a car. So every time you put on the brakes a little bit of that dust will come off the, the brake pads and discs as well as from the, the rubber on the tires. Um, that zinc then can, when, when there's a storm or rain, can run off into our waterways, whether it's in a freshwater urban environment or if it's a coastal uh, urban area, then you've got that, that sort of coastal marine um, ecosystem there. And the those, those metal concentrations can get really too high that then can cause a lot of issues to marine animals and plants um again how do we deal with that it's very tricky because we need to be able to have uh, our, our cars run on tires and our vehicles run on tires and have brakes to be able to stop obviously so um but yeah having you know things like that as well as there's, there's a lot of work has gone into pharmaceuticals so um those of us using pharmaceuticals for for mental health uh for uh, regulating different um, issues that we have in our body will often pass through us uh, down into the sewage system and then out into these environments. And uh, I have colleagues working on um, things like antidepressants and, and finding that antidepressants are then being found at, at low levels but impacting fish in our waterways and causing them to maybe be more risk-taking or less risk-taking and, and therefore not being able to avoid a predator or not being able to find a mate. So very small concentrations of these compounds can actually have quite a big impact on uh, fish, fish, and other aquatic life.
0: One of our colleagues, um, Michelle Dickinson from New Zealand, who runs a whole lot of uh, science programs for children. I was listening to her at one point of time, and she was talking about the effect that all all these detrimental aspects of the things that we 're putting in the water are having on even shells and they're making the shells of the, the protective shells of some of the species in the oceans more brittle. So that, for example, um, uh, an abalone is not as well protected from a bird in the casing that it has because the casing that it has is less robust. Have you have you done any research? Um, what are your thoughts? What's your yeah.
1: Not, not myself personally, but I'm aware of, of that sort of research, and certainly things like um, ocean acidification can can really impact the way that a, uh, uh, an invertebrate, like a, a mussel or an oyster, is, has an ability to be able to lay down its protective shell. Um, and ocean acidification is caused from the carbon dioxide that we're putting up from burning fossil fuels into the atmosphere actually dissolves into the surface waters of the ocean and reduces the, the pH, makes it a bit more acidic, and that, that really slows down the ability of the animal to, to lay down its shell. There are a whole range of other chemicals that, that we're using um, in urban and agricultural areas that may also have a similar impact. So yeah, it's, um, it's a complex situation, that's for sure.
0: And it's one that I really had not thought about um, until I had that conversation with Michelle. So. Before we go to your fifth point of interest, which is the the point that I would, because it's, I would love to to end on that point. Why is it that we're not using, because what you're saying is fascinating. A lot of people love the ocean. Um, In Australia in particular, we we live on the coast, You know, all, all around our continent. Science in schools, why aren't we teaching science in schools in terms of consequences in because everything that you've said has a scientific base we know ansto does a lot you know it is a scientific research center why aren't we teaching science like this here's what happens when chemical a meets chemical b and it has an effect on biology and it has an effect on marine life ecosystems etc what can we do to encourage science to become less um i guess compartmentalized in here's biology here's you know, here's chemical, here's physics, because it does have this ongoing round into intertwined effect. Why aren't we teaching science like this? I would have loved science like this at school, instead of going, oh, I can't wait to drop the subjects, you know?
1: Yeah, Christine, uh, Christina, I think that's a wonderful question. I'm, I'm not uh, well versed enough in the Australian curriculum to know whether or not this is being taught like this in terms of the applied sciences. Um, I would say, though, that I think it's still really important to have a fundamental understanding of chemistry, physics, biology, maths, because those are the the cornerstones as to what then we're able to apply to these situations. So it doesn't tend to be until you get into graduate or postgraduate studies that you, you start applying. With that said though, I think it, it's certainly important to have real world examples of where you can apply things like chemistry and biology and physics all as one together. And the environmental science is a, is a perfect example of that because we need to understand how a chemical behaves in a water, so that's the chemistry side. We need to understand how it interacts with the biology. And then we also need to understand how the physics of, of physical ocean movement and atmospheric movement impact all of those, uh, the dispersion of compounds. So. Wherever we can, we do, um, you know, we at answer, we'll get involved in, in uh, discussions like this or go out to schools or, or have uh, schools come to us as well, um, where we can really put that applied sense to the, the science. I, I agree with you. It was something that myself, um, even at high school, wasn't that I, I didn't really do very well in the sciences, uh, just enough to be able to get into an undergraduate course in the UK. And it was then during the undergraduate where there was the real applied side of the science that got me really interested about doing what I was doing.
0: Yeah, I think I would love to um, invite you to be uh, a part of our youth summit as well, because I think this information would be fantastic uh, at at that youth level. Um, So we'll have further conversations about that um, post this podcast. But the fifth point, the future and hope for our coastal environments and what we can do to improve things um, and the hope that we have in our relationship with, um, with our marine systems.
1: Yeah, so I think, I think the, this point really comes to an understanding of the value of coastal and marine e- ecosystems. Um, we, we hear the term biodiversity a lot and you know it's important to say biodiversity, but it's important to really understand what biodiversity means. So when you have multiple different species, i.e. biodiversity, in a system in an environmental system, they then are responsible for uh, providing us with clean water, clean air, and food. So the three key things that we as humans need to be able to survive. Um, one of the problems with with looking after the oceans is because they are transboundary. A lot of the time, they go across multiple different international lines. Um, and also it's beneath the surface, and therefore it's a lot of out of sight, out of mind, it's difficult to then place a dollar value on it um, compared to what you might do on land. Um, the other tricky thing before we get into the, the real hope side is that um, coastal environments are so dynamic. There are, you, you can go, we can go and, and collect samples and use really precise analytical techniques to tell us what contaminants are there, if I go and sample in an hour's time or in a, a day's time or in a season's time, it might have completely changed. So there's a lot of work that needs to go into understanding that complex nature. With that said, though, part of the the, the the hope really is education. So it's much like the push has been around plastics, educating people as to what the problems are so that collectively we can um, change our habits and that and that's all it is the the plastics thing is very much a convenience side of things that society has got used to having uh disposable items or or very rarely reused items we need to change that ethos and we need to change the way that we do things and and demand plastic alternatives or reduce and reuse and recycle um, as well as then some of these other understandings about other stresses impacting if we can educate people as to what the problems are. We can then work out ways of uh, finding alternatives or just reducing um, and capturing some of the contaminants before they actually make their way into the the coastal environment. And we know that when we can protect uh, an environment and we can either stop physically things like overfishing or we can stop the amount of contaminants going into the water, that environment is so resilient, the marine environment, that it will bounce back. But we just need to be able to give it a chance.
0: I love that. Give it a chance. And also I I love things like the um, one, two, three, pick up something, you know, for the sea. And if you see something, if you see a piece of plastic, pick it up and think about that turtle or or, or the dolphin or the small marine animal that's going to be impacted by what it is. Um, I've also gotten into the habit of picking up shells that look like they're about to dry out and throwing them, like with animals in them, clearly throwing them um, back into the water somewhere. So I think anything each of us can do to help marine life, to make a difference, to not use a plastic, to not use a, um, anything that's disposable uh, is, is going to go a long way to the work that you do. So thank you so much, Dr. Tom Cresswell, for speaking with us. Um, thank you to ANSTO for all the support that you give us uh, and really looking forward to maybe having another conversation with you uh, in a couple of months time. So thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My absolute pleasure thanks for joining us for
0: this episode of inspire for five the singularity you australia podcast we look forward to your company again on the next podcast and in the meantime we'd like to give a big shout out to our founding partner deloitte